Welcome to the Leadership Void Podcast. Enrique and Vince here, and we're all about helping you develop and fill the areas of void in your leadership. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Leadership Void Podcast. I'm Enrique with my co-host, Vince, to bring you the very best in our veteran military spouse and first responder community, and Vince will introduce today's guest. I'm honored to introduce Iron Mike Stedman, the Renaissance man. Guess what? This man is from the New York City metropolitan area. He does a couple things, a plethora of things, but he actually is also known from the founder and CEO of Ironbound Boxing. He's the creator of Ironbound Media. He's an author, has so many things. We're going to dive into that. But before, let's talk about his journey, his origin story. Mike, tell us a little about you and welcome to the show. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here, man. I love jumping on these platforms and chopping up with veterans. And, you know, I was real humble when you all reached out. But like you said, my name is Iron Mike Stedman. I wasn't I didn't always go by Iron Mike. But when you uh, run a business in Newark, New Jersey, in the middle of a global pandemic and you come out on the other side of it, you probably feel pretty iron, too. Um, and so uh, I'm originally from Bryan College Station, Texas, raised by my mom, Willene Stedman, um, and uh, had opportunity to go to the Naval Academy. Uh, was a three-time national boxing champion, two-time most valuable boxer, captain of my boxing team. Spent a lot of time boxing in inner city gyms in Baltimore, D.C., New York City, the Bronx, all right? And then uh, ended up um, noticing a lot of young men and women inside that those gyms. Uh, felt like the only option was to turn pro or go to the streets, unlike me and my teammates from the Naval Academy, because at all the service academies, whether it's Air Force, West Point, Navy, we box, but at the end of the day, we're going to graduate from a world-class institution. We're going to serve our country as officers in the military. And then we're going to get out and start our own businesses, work in corporate America, go to graduate school. So that was my exposure to boxing. And I was disheartened by the fact you go to these inner city gyms where a lot of times these gyms are in like the poorest section uh, of the communities and that there was not this path to, you know, success outside of the ring. So I planted that seed in the back of my head. Ended up graduating the Naval Academy, um, serving as a Marine Infantry Officer, Afghanistan, Japan, and the Philippines. And then when I was transitioning out, I decided I wanted to start my own boxing gym in the inner city, training kids for free, similar to the experience I had at the Naval Academy. So essentially bringing the best of the Service Academy boxing program to an inner city. And I chose Newark, New Jersey, because I had interned here during my time at the Naval Academy over the summers. And so that's how I became an entrepreneur. I was just a guy trying to fund a free boxing gym, had no business background whatsoever. And that experience of, you know, getting that gym up and off the ground, what became the Ironbound Boxing Academy, um, ended up exposing me to the, I didn't even know we had this, to be honest, this veteran entrepreneurial community. Um, because to be quite frank, being a black officer in the military, I tell people, it was like, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, doesn't make a sound. You know, so everybody's saying, you know, we're proud of you. You know, you're this black, you're a black male raising a single parent home, you know, graduated from a world class institution. Now you got those captain bars, you know, and it's like people view you as like a success story. But like in the infantry, they're just not a lot of black, black infantry officers, period. And so you just I never felt like I was in a position to positively impact my community and leverage the leadership and all the, the knowledge and my social network. And so um, that was an important component of what I wanted to do outside of the military, which led me um, to Newark. 
amazing story and you don't really understand the depth of people until they start talking. You know, I, you, you call college station, your home. That's where you are. I'm an A&M alumni. So I oh, know really? exactly where you're from. Yeah. And, and also, you know, I, I boxed as a little kid. Vince don't even know this. <laughs> as a little kid in the Bronx, I was, I was, uh, in those boxing poor areas <laughs> that yeah. you mentioned and now veteran entrepreneurship which we're so happy that you are involved in. And Vince mentioned this earlier, multifaceted. But tell us about Ironbound Boxing and this media company that you started. Before I do that, can I make a comment about AM? So AM holds a special place in my heart because I didn't um I didn't go there. But when I was training to go to the Naval Academy, me and my mom, we lived in an apartment just up the street from AM, little uh, two-bedroom apartment. And I grew up on that campus. Like, that's where I would do my running, you know? My mom would take me to the bonfires back when that was a thing. We would eat, uh, um, we would, uh, you know, grab food at Red Lobster and go over to the bonfire. Uh, and, you know, even though I went to school in Bryan College Station, like, not a lot of black kids went to AM from the local high school. And the older I get, I'm like, that's insane that you got this world-class institution literally in your backyard and we're not going to school there. And so uh, I just say that, like, I didn't go to a but it's a part of me. And if I deep down, it's on a bucket list of like going there to get a degree. So just, I just wanted to share that with everyone. Cause I mean, my mom would take me to, to, to football games and buy tickets from the scalpers. You know, she would wake me up on a Saturday and was like, you want to go to a game? I'm like, heck yeah, let's go. And we would go there and she would get the tickets from the scalper and, you know, we will, watch, we will watch the game. So those are the kind of memories that pop up in my mind when I think of A&M. Um, regarding Ironbound Media, what a lot of us don't realize, like, so many of us want to create impact, right, beyond monetary, as particularly veterans. Because for a lot of us, right, we are, you know, you don't join the military just because you're trying to make a lot of money. Let's be honest. You join the military because you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And so when you think about all these problems that are taking place in the community, um, you know, poverty, sustainability, et cetera. And so we want to start nonprofits, right, to do the good work. But one of the challenges when you do that at the grassroots level is like, how are you going to pay yourself as a founder, you know? And so boxing is a poor man's sport. Always has been, always will be. Amateur boxing is an extremely poor man's sport, okay? And so... You know, in 2018, I was working at a private school in Newark, New Jersey. That's where uh, it's called St. Benedict's Prep. And I ran the residence hall. So I ran a I lived in a giant house with 70 teenage boys, 90 percent of which are black and Latino that couldn't afford to go to school there. But their tuition was subsidized by private donors. And I was a house dad. But I did that while I was starting Ironbound because I worked in the evening. So I had the day to myself in 2018. I made the decision I wanted to go all in on Ironbound boxing and growing that. But I also knew that I needed to have a source of income in order to pay myself to allow me to do it. And so I came up with a business model teaching boxing to companies in the New York City metro area. Um, and I did that. I, I made I, I did what they tell you not to do. I quit my job. I liquidated my 401k. I did all that and went all in. Right. And I made that into a little lifestyle business. But then what happened? The pandemic. Right. And businesses fell primarily for two reasons. Number one, no market need, and they run out of cash. There was no market need for on-site boxing when they canceled the NBA. I knew it was a wrap for me. And so in my mind, I had to say, okay, 
Um, what are some potential new business models I could launch that would allow me to still earn an income and yada, yada, yada. And I had been playing around with this idea of podcasting because I just think it's such a powerful medium. Um, as you know, I wrote the book, Black Bread and Entrepreneur. And what the precursor to that was, I read a lot of business literature and I didn't see a lot of us reflected in terms of black and brown people and the stories and the businesses highlighted. And I thought back then that like podcasting would be a great way to reach more diverse audiences. So I'd already planted that seed in the back of my head. And before the pandemic, I launched my own podcast called Confessions of a Native Son, a black veteran's perspectives on race, culture, and business. And so um, basically I ended up spinning up a podcast production company um, and ended up just going all in on that. You know, so I closed down my boxing, on-site boxing business, stood up Ironbound Media, and it's been off to the races ever since. You know, I love it. Basically, you took that opportunity and basically, like you said, ran with it. It's great. And all these books that you have and highlighting, and I know more to come, are going to be all part of history. So I, I definitely think that what you've done, you are the tip of the spear, Mike, and doing some great things. And you share some challenges and some lessons learned. Anything else you want to share with our audience about entrepreneurship, lessons learned, or challenges? What nobody told me when I first started this is this framework. It's called the five stages of small business growth. Not only is it, there's a Harvard Business Review article on it, but they also put it um, in the book. And this is really important because you understand the road ahead. All right, stage one is validation. Do you have a business model that people are willing to pay you for? Like, do you have a product or service that people will to pay? And have you validated that they're paying you? So not just, oh, this is the great idea. No, have you got like 10 customers? Okay, so the first thing is you want to validate your business model before you go all in, right? Phase two is sales. And this is where you're trying to get that recurring revenue. So you're like, okay, I can sell some coffee, but can I make this a sustainable business for myself? Can I get recurring and predictable revenue? Do I know how much money is going to come in month over month? So then you're in the, the, the sales phase. Case okay. stage three is foundation. This is where you start to build your team. You hire a virtual assistant. You bring other people in. And now you're really trying to dial in your systems and your processes and all that other stuff, right? Stage four is expand. So let's say you have a brick and mortar. You got your one location. And now you're like, you know what? We're in the Bronx. Now we want to go to Harlem, right? So you test that expansion. And then stage five is multiply. This is really where we talk about scale. And now, you know, when you come into the entrepreneurship arena, everyone's talking about does it scale, 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 scale. But the reality is most of us are going to be small business owners. We're not going to be these venture-backed startups, right? So when you start trying to focus on scale out the gate, right, you're going to, you have, a, you're going to probably, things are going to slip through the cracks. And you're going to be making moves at certain stages that you shouldn't be making. Does that make sense? So a lot of y'all are trying to play the foundation game. You're recruiting co-founders. You're doing all this other stuff, right? You haven't even validated the business model. Like you don't even have money in the bank account, right? You're spending all this money, but you don't have any sales. And so understanding the five stages of small business growth is like the road ahead. And that's the thing about framework. See, there's a lot of entrepreneur programs out there and I've done like 10 incubators. I've done Stanford, you know, I've done New Jersey Institute of Technology. I've done all of them, okay? We're really good at, you know, giving people generic advice, we're really good at helping them get their little pitch decks together and all that. But getting in the fight and staying alive and growing your business, right, there's a gap. And so I, I challenge all you to learn the five stages, but also be on the lookout for frameworks. And a framework is more than just generic advice. It's a repeatable process that's proven over time. 
That is amazing, amazing advice. I tell you, and, and you're talking, both Vince and I are entrepreneurs. I'm sure that we would like, yep, check, 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 check. But you mentioned the survival in the fight. Right? That's something that nobody can really teach you. You got to yeah. have it in you. Uh, veterans have that type of resiliency to get through some of those things. And even them at times will not, you know, go through and survive that entrepreneurial fight because you mentioned the pandemic, which hit a lot of people. Um, but what I love about that story uh, from your perspective is that you were already formulating. How do I take this that now has become the hill and turn it into my victory even still with all this going on. So kudos to you uh, for having that type of framework that you just mentioned, but uh, uh, being able to implement that in a ever-changing time, which was <laughs> the last three years, uh, and still be able to survive. So as you go through this journey, you're heading into the future. You mentioned your book. We'll, we'll bring that up here uh, not too long from now. Uh, but what's on the horizon for Ironbound Boxing and Media? So there's a couple of different things. You know, um, I'm big on lifestyle design, right? One of the reasons I felt like I, I, I had to move to Newark and start my gym was because, you know, I felt like I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, like I went to a good school. I served my country nobly. And, you know, when you're younger, it's like we all have these dreams and these passions. But then you get older and people are like, you need to do this. You need to get a job. You need to, you know. And I was like, I did everything I was supposed to do. I want to bet on myself. Right. And I had to do that over. And oh, it's a constant thing of having to bet on yourself. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's what um, that, you know, that's what led me. That's what led me to Newark. Um, the other thing I'll say, too, is. I think one of the weaknesses we have as a community is not understanding the art and science of being a veteran entrepreneur. What do I mean? This is a leadership. This is a lead, the podcast on leadership. Okay. We understand the art and science of leadership, how it relates to our field of play in the military, i.e. writing the five paragraph order, you know, i.e. delegating tasks to subordinates, navigating your chain of command. Okay. Like those things are like the science. The science is like the template of the five paragraph order. Okay. The art of it is, you know, uh, a Marine does something. You want to correct them on it, but you let the platoon sergeant do it. Right. You have to learn that over and over again. Right. Understanding what lane you fall in. But because we think we understand leadership, we think that that field of play applies to entrepreneurship. And everyone tells us this over and over again. They're like, oh, yeah, vets make great leaders. You know, it's going to translate to entrepreneurship. It's a different field of play. Now it's not that five paragraph order. It's that business plan. It's that operating system. It's that marketing plan, right? That's the science. And the art of it is, okay, my cash flow sucks right now. What am I going to do? You know, am I going to launch something else? Am I going to go recruit a channel partner? Am I going to shut this business down? You know, and we got to educate our stuff on this. And so a lot of times vets are using the wrong lens of leadership um, when it comes to their entrepreneurial journey. And I didn't know this. And I learned this through a lot of failure, like that whole five stages of small business growth. I didn't know that when I launched Ironbound Media. I found that 
after I launched Ironbound Media. But what I did know was I had to validate my business model. I wasn't doing anything until I validated the business model. And once I got a paying client and I got a second paying client, I was like, okay, I can make this something. But I encourage us to educate ourselves. And I've, I have two business coaches. I am a business coach, right? So these are things that nobody told me about beforehand, but it's like a video game, right? Like you get to a next level and you keep dying. You die like 20 times. Then you're like, oh, I need to go get a coach. Boom. Then you get to the next level, right? But like, we don't know this because people don't ever um, talk to us about it. And the other thing that I want to cautious people about going back to that five stages is you start a business. What do you do? You tell everybody about it, you know? Oh man, Vince, we're so proud of you. Rike, we're so proud of you. You know, we see you killing it. You ain't validate the business model. They don't know what sausage making behind the scenes. And guess what? It's starting to fail or it ain't working or there's no, there's no market and you're running out of cash. Now, what are you tying to it? You're tying to an ego. Everybody knows me for this, right? So I'm the veteran. I figure it out. I'm just going to push. I'm just going to work harder. But if there's no demand for what you're offering, you can be the best entrepreneur in the world and you'll still fail. But it takes an entrepreneur to understand that that's the cost of doing business, right? But veterans, we want to hold on to it till it crashes and burns. And then we don't want to do it again. See, there's all these traps out there that you got to educate yourself about because some markets are notoriously hard, right? It's all hard, but some are harder than others. Restaurants, notoriously hard. Consumer packaged goods, notoriously hard. Yeah, you got a great idea, but the margin is just a little different. I can go get a client and make like $20,000 and invoice them up front. That's a lot harder for somebody that is selling, you know, widgets, right? And so, again, we have to learn as a community to separate our ego from our ventures because like a Marine, um, you know, that's your identity, right? And that's why a lot of people struggle when they transition out because their identity is tied up to their service. Now you launch this venture and everybody knows you for this. And so your identity is tied to that venture instead of being tied to being an entrepreneur. You dropped so much knowledge there, my man, Mike. I love everything you said. It's so important to be educated, have that mentor, have that coach to navigate that new terrain. Because yes, you might have the art and the science, but definitely is a different framework in the entrepreneurship lane and or just trying to get out and just get a job, right? That transition is difficult, but I love everything you said. You talk about leadership. Before we dive into leadership, and a great part of it, this book that you have. We'd love to know more about your book. And also, what do you do to aid you to thrive as an entrepreneur and as a professional? Yeah, so the book is called uh, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Violate Your Business Model, Build Your Grand, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness. And essentially, you know, in 2017, Right. I was uh, going to a friend's bachelor party and I had to pick up another mutual friend from the airport who was just coming back from Stanford. Right. And apparently Stanford had this program on entrepreneurship, like four weeks called Stanford Ignite, where they taught you how to start a business over the course of four weeks, et cetera. And he was just coming back from that. So me and him had a five hour car ride uh, to this bachelor party. And he was like, Mike, I love what you're doing with Ironbound. You should definitely do this program. And I was like, I don't know. What is this? And he's like, yeah, veteran entrepreneurship. And at the, again, at the time, I was trying to separate myself from the veteran space, you know, because I wanted to have my own identity. But I was like, you know what? This sounds pretty interesting. Long story short, I ended up going. And it was my first exposure to veteran entrepreneurs. And I was like, this isn't bad. Like, I can do this, right? Like, we're hanging out. We're talking about business, et cetera. But the thing was, 
I was the only black guy in that program of like 30, right? And then I would go to these different events, whether it was in New York City or whatever, and I was the only black guy there. And I was like, hmm, you know? And I know that like over 40% of the military are minorities, you know? And so, you know, yeah, we're doing this veteran entrepreneurship and there's all these talks and everything, but I got tired of walking into a room and only being me. And I read a lot. I read like 300 plus business books. Ask me how many of those businesses feature black authors, right? Or feature black case studies. And so rather than, you know, sticking a thumb in people's eye, you know, I was just like, you know what? If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And so I decided I was going to write a book to show other uh, underrepresented founders that are veterans um, how to start and grow their own business, how to bootstrap it. And so uh, I wrote Black Veteran Entrepreneur. Um, and I thought it was important for me, too, to uh, give us agency, right? I, you know, agency is when you see yourself reflected. You know, this idea of, like, I can relate to that story. Like, I am Mike. Mike is me, you know? And so I wanted to highlight other Black Veteran Entrepreneurs in the ecosystem that are doing amazing things. And so what's different about this book than I think a lot of other books you see, particularly when it comes to minority businesses, is a lot of times it tends to be just a a coming up story. You know, it's like, here, I'm successful. Here's how I'm successful. And it tells your story. I tell my story in like the opening chapter. And then after that, it's frameworks. You're like, hey, you want to get your first 10 customers? This is what you need to do. Boom. Here's a case study from a black veteran entrepreneur. Here's some key takeaways. And here's some resources to go deeper. Right. So that's what separates me from a lot of the other urban authors I see out there. Um, and this is not just being critical, but like 99% of the time when I pick up a book on like marketing or something, right? Like I don't see a lot of us. And so I want to change that. So that's the why behind the book is to create impact. I want us to win, right? It, and again, you don't have to be a black fed entrepreneur to get value out of the book. I just created a dog whistle because I want to see us reflected. Like I want somebody walking by him like, man, I feel like he wrote that book for me. And the answer is yes, I did. And, you know, the, the book journey is always something that you, you just can't calculate. I love your framework about how you wrote it and why you wrote it. Uh, I also heard you on, on several occasions say, hey, I didn't know that till I got to this spot. And I wish I'd have known. There are a lot of things that you pick up, both from your time in service uh, and and although military framework is different from the playing field of veteran, you know, veteran entrepreneur. There are some things that, tr that translate. Um, have you seen some of that advice that you've received throughout the years come to play in your, you know, in your entrepreneur journey that actually worked and some that you would share with maybe an emerging leader today? So, I'll start with this. Like, I do want to make this connection from, you know, I said before that not everything applies. What does apply from the military is being in the hot seat. If you're a leader, you're in the hot seat, right? Like, it's just the, the pressure dealing with it. I just can't escape it. I feel like I'm always in the hot seat, y'all. I'm in the hot seat with Ironbound Box. I'm in the hot seat with Ironbound Media. I'm in the hot seat with coaching. And what it is for me at this point, it's like being in the ring. It's like sparring. Like, I'm used to the feeling that comes with it. So I am very thankful for that. You know, there are a lot of people in the civilian world that uh, they they say they're leaders, but they're really managers because a leader like if I don't have to report to you, I'm not calling you. You know what I mean? Like like this is purely a job. Right. You have the authority. 
So I'm going to, but a leader is so much more than that. So that's definitely a pause. When it comes to business, right? I think there's this, and there, I have another book about it. It's called uh, The Myth of the Idea and the Upside Down Startup by Professor Newton M. Campos. We think the idea is everything, right? Oh, I got this great idea. I'm going to start a business around it, okay? But Professor Campos has been studying entrepreneurship all over the world in emerging economies. And like 90% of the time, the ideas that work are because the entrepreneur has something else connected with it, i.e. they come from an industry like with they have deep industry experience. They have the social network. They have the connections, right? They have the resources. And so all of that together plus execution, then you get to the idea. So it goes back to kind of like this old school term of like cast your buckets where you are. It's like, what resources do you already have around you? What social networks do you already have, right? What's your execution ability? And then you use that to say, okay, what idea makes sense? And then you come up with your business idea. So when I gave the idea about the podcast, I had already launched my own podcast. Did I have deep industry expertise on podcasting per se? No, but I read like 10 books on it. I did have deep industry expertise being a minority and being a black veteran entrepreneur. So that's what I was able to bring through my content and education and everything like that. But I didn't know that. Um, the other thing is there has to be a market for what you're selling. I say I can say this 10 times. I, I want to say this on blue in the face. You can be the best entrepreneur in the world. You can be Elon Musk, right? And if there's no demand for what you're selling, you will fail. And so identifying that like people are actively spending money in a space um, and carving out your own niche in that. Um, but again, we're not taught that, right? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a good idea. But like, these are things that you come from staying alive and making it to the next level when you see everybody else in the graveyard. Absolutely. Staying alive, taking it to the next level. Great advice. Great lessons learned, folks. You know, deep industry um, expertise, either through a books like uh, Mike has done or just know to have that knowledge, that staying power of knowledge. So I love now that talk about memorable leadership moments, aha moments. It could be all the way from when you watch that bonfire in A&M, right? Or it could be something in the Marines. But what would you like to share with the audience about a memorable leadership aha moment? So I will tell you, when I was in Afghanistan, I got relieved in combat the last month of my deployment. I was on an op. I led a mission, it went south, and my company commander relieved me on the spot, like the next day. So here I am, infantry officer in Afghanistan, you get relieved, and they basically turn you into a rifleman, you know? So I have to go with another platoon commander, because I'm not in charge of troops, right? So basically, and we're on the op, like we're in it. Um, and talk about, I mean, I fought tooth and nail to become an infantry officer. OK, I I mean, it was I mean, I, I didn't want to talk about IOC, the infantry officer course, everything I had to do, the workup, everything, being on the, you know, being with your platoon for a year. Right. And getting relieved. Um, and it was freaking devastating. OK, I end up coming back to the States after that deployment, feeling ashamed. Right. Like people are coming back with their combat. Act I had my combat ribbon, but, you know, the, the combat valor, whatever it was, I can't remember anymore. And like, I didn't want to talk about Afghanistan because I didn't feel like a hero, right? I felt like I got robbed from that. I didn't have that feeling. So um, 
long story short, I end up coming back to my battalion. Okay. Uh, I, they, they, they sent officers away when you get relieved for a little bit. And then a new, a new battalion commander came and was like, I want to bring Lieutenant Stedman back. And I had to meet with the XO and the XO asked me, he's like, do you have what it takes to lead Marines again? And in my head, I was like, hell no. Right. I didn't want anything to do with it because my ego was shot. I was afraid. The last time I led Marines was in combat in Afghanistan, you know, and I was just it was too much. But the ego, right. Naval Academy grad, infantry officer. I looked him in the eye. I said, hell yes. Right. I showed up to my new company. And again, I'm bringing all this baggage from before. My confidence is shot, whatever. And I had a company commander named Christopher Wynn that took me in and was 100% with me. He's like, Mike, I heard what happened in Afghanistan. You're starting one, starting with me. And I had such an amazing experience with this leader. I mean, he really helped build me up and helped me get my confidence back. There was little things that he did, like, you know, being open to our advice. I had a different company commander prior. And, you know, sometimes leaders are set in their ways. So there are leaders that ask you for advice and are still going to do it their way. But then there are others that genuinely ask you for advice because they value it and then they execute upon it. And so being around here, him watching his leadership style was probably one of the best experiences I had in the military. Um, and it also has been something that I've applied uh, out of it. And so, you know, what am I unpacking there? We're all going to fail. I see people taking L's all day. I just took an L earlier in my career. Right. And so I, I got to experience that. Um, and as leaders, we literally have the power to improve the lives of people that fall under us. Like you have no idea. Like I think about Captain Wynn. He's more than captain now. I got to figure out uh, his, his title. But just sitting in his office and him being square with me and the way he treated me, you know, like he didn't treat me like I was less than. Like I wish I would have had him on deployment, the first deployment, because I knew if I did. I would have had a completely different experience. And that is the power of like leadership and don't underestimate it. And you know what the equation is? It's you. So like my team at Ironbound, right? I know that like um, the impact that I'm having on people's lives, don't underestimate it. So that was the big takeaway for me was like pushing past that shame and insecurity, you know, getting poured into by a leader and then paying it forward now. Powerful uh, story. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, just a testament of leadership by example is powerful. Um, and having him invest that time in you, uh, look what has resulted. I mean, you could have, you could have took that L and just stood with it. Uh, a lot of people do, you know, and you were able to uh, reframe that and, and he was able to help you get on this journey that you are now uh, and so kudos to him and you for making that work. Now you talk about strategies as a leader, you know, and there's a lot of times that change will come. The last three years have shown us that uh, entrepreneurship has shown us that, but what certain strategies do you use with yourself or with your team to deal with those times of change and challenge? So one of the things that we've implemented is gratitude, the practice of gratitude. So mental health is real for a lot of people, you know, um, and it's important. Like my team can't be their best if they're defeated, you know, if they're beat up. Right. So like I want 
life is hard enough as it is to make work miserable. And so building a company, I'm responsible for building the culture, right? And one of the things that I'm big on is gratitude and all these practices. So I implemented, you know, every time we do a stand-up, I go around the horn and I ask everyone uh, something that they're grateful for. And you know what that does? It primes people's minds, right? It's something so small, but, you know, they, they have told me it's drastically, it's drastically like changed their lives. Because before, they know when they come to any meeting with me, I'm going to ask them what they're grateful for, right? Little stuff, little simple stuff like that. And you might be the only person in their lives that are even doing that. I mean, think about that, right? Like, it's nothing. It's a little 30-minute stand-up. They have their whole life outside of that and whatever. But they know when they jump on with Mike, he's going to ask them what they're grateful for and that they better have an answer. And so, again, that's an example of the art of leadership. Right. Little stuff like that. But there is some science to it because I read about it. I learned about it. Right. I, so it's not some hokey pokey. You know, this is proven stuff. Um, um, there's that piece. I think the other getting a pulse on people, you know, I will tell you, this is another thing that I do appreciate the Marines for. So you got, you know, you got PT every morning. You got to get up seven, you know, 7 a.m. PT. and You have a Marine that walks by you. Right. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Three months in a row. Then one month he sees you. No, good morning. Hey, Marine, come here. You know, what's going on? Head down. You know, what's going on? Let's talk to me. And you realize that something's going on at home. You know, he's not in his best. But again, because of that pattern recognition, right, you catch stuff like that. So I'm in the ironbound boxing cabin one day, hanging up a heavy bag. One of my kids comes in and he's like, Coach Mike, you got anything to eat? And I was like, oh, I don't, but go to, uh, you know, go grab my wallet and my jacket and get something from the vending machines. And then I said, wait a minute, mind prime down, right? Mind you also live in a house with 70 teenage boys. Elvin, come here. His name's Elvin Alicia. It's like, did you eat anything this morning? No, coach. Did you eat anything last night? No, coach. What's going on? Turns out he was homeless. His parents had got evicted from their, his mom had got evicted from her house. He'd been sleeping out on the street. But because of that pattern recognition I learned in the Marines and refined over years, I was able to identify that there was something wrong. We were able to get Elvin in at the private school. I worked at St. Benedict's Prep. He lived on campus with me, ended up graduating St. Benedict's. He was a Golden Gloves finalist and ended up getting uh, uh, money to go to school at NJCU full ride. So now he's at uh, New Jersey Central, teaches TCNJ, actually. And so, but that's something that I wouldn't have caught had I not had that background in the, in the Marine Corps. Such a valuable lesson and exposure to understanding how impactful our military service is ingrained in us. To this day, that young man is a true testament of your leadership and your exemplify, you know, the patterns that he illustrated of not having food or not just being hungry, right? Take a couple of dollars out of my wallet. It, you would have been on his own way. And guess what? This would not have been the same story told if he, if you didn't take the time, Mike, to understand and value. What is the pattern here, right? I love this. This is great, folks. If you're listening in, uh, you probably want to know how to get a hold of this iron gentleman called Iron Mike Stedman, who is the Renaissance man. 
And to do that, he's going to tell you right now how to go about doing that or his Ironbound enterprise. So please, Mike, share with our audience how to get a hold of you or the multimedia uh, company or boxing. Well, the first thing is uh, just send me an email, Mike, at weareironbound.com. Um, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. I like to own my platform, i.e. email, you know, because a lot of these social media platforms, you never know who's jumping on. But outside of that, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. So add me on LinkedIn, Iron Mike Stedman. I'm probably the only Iron Mike Stedman on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm not hard to get a hold of. And what I would love for you all to do if you found value, what we're talking about is obviously check out my book, Black Fred and Entrepreneur. It's available on Amazon. But I also think you would get a lot of value out of some of the content we're creating over at Ironbound Media. I personally host the podcast, uh, The Transition, for Bunker Labs. You can check that out. And then my baby, Dog Whistle Branding. And I launched that podcast because I realized there was a gap that I mentioned before of, hey, we're really good at helping veterans come up with ideas. But once they're in the fight, how do they get their first 100 customers and beyond? There's not a lot of knowledge around that. So I launched the podcast, Dog Whistle Branding. We have a newsletter for that as well. We'd love you to subscribe to that newsletter and get accelerated. So I'm here to support. I'm not hard to find. And I uh, hope you all got some value out of what we talked about today. Outstanding. And we're going to make sure to have all that as part of the show notes and video so you can get a hold of Mike, his company, and all the things, the books and the podcast. We'll make sure to put all that in there. If you want to get a hold of the Leadership Void podcast, the leadership void at gmail.com is where you'll send that correspondence. If you want us to cover a specific speaker or guest or a topic on leadership, please do so by asking us that way. And me and Vince will curate that. Absolutely. My man's all the way from Newark, New Jersey. They're the Bronx crews over here. You know, we chopped it up today. We're so grateful for this time, all the nuggets you dropped. And we also so grateful for our sponsors. You know, we have VEI, Veteran Entrepreneurship Initiative. We have FAVOB. Once you become an entrepreneur, you have an association of veteran-owned businesses. And Triple Nickel, guess what? Wearing some fantastic gear. They're all nationally known. So, folks, become a sponsor. Just let us know. Reach us at uh, gmail.com. definitely. So, But today is all about Iron Mike Stedman. Thank you for everything you shared, everything you're doing for being the dog whistler over there, out there, and being that black entrepreneur, understanding the role that you play for, not just yourself and the bigger, larger community and the economy. But Mike, much gratitude to you as well. Thank you, brother. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Void Podcast. If you have any topics you would like to discuss, or you are dealing with leadership issues, be sure to write us at theleadershipvoid at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Until next time.